Good morning, Grace Fellowship. My name's Eric Northrup, and I am one of the campus pastors uh, specifically for Independence. And it's a privilege and an honor to be up here sharing the word of the Lord for my second time now. Last service was the first. So <laughs> we have been in a series of Proverbs. Thank you. We are in a series of Proverbs in which we are looking at the wisdom of God to practically and effectively apply into our lives. Most of Proverbs is attributed, as you may know, to King Solomon. The Bible says the wisest man in all the earth. And you know that, but you may not know how he became the wisest man in all the earth. It's found in 1 Kings 3, 2 through 14. You don't have to turn there. I'll give you the cliff note version. If you want to, you can turn there. First, the Bible says that Solomon was young, he became king, and he was, uh, the Lord was pleased by him. He followed God's statutes. And so, because of the favor of the Lord, uh, the Lord said, hey, I'm going to appear to Solomon in a dream, and I'm going to give him whatever you want, whatever he wants, whatever he asks for. So, Solomon, what do you want in a dream? And Solomon thinks about it, and in his position of power, creatively and humbly asks for a discerning heart to govern and lead the people, to distinguish from good and evil, right and wrong. And this request greatly pleased the Lord, for it wasn't selfish, but it was to lead God's people. And so not only did the Lord grant his request of giving him wisdom, he also said, Solomon, I'm also going to give you riches and honor, and quote, so that no other king shall compare with you. So Proverbs is literally God's wisdom to Solomon through pen and paper. And so this morning, we are going to look at God's wisdom. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you that uh, you use people uh, to uh, communicate who you are and what you're about, Lord. I pray that you would um, open our hearts, open our, our minds, our eyes uh, to see the truth found in your word. And may we leave becoming more in love with you this morning. We love you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. So as I was going through Proverbs, I wanted to get God's wisdom specifically on money. So I read all of Proverbs and I highlighted every verse uh, about money. And I saw a common theme throughout. Proverbs consistently talks about the sluggard and the diligent when talking about riches and poverty. For example, sluggard appears 14 times, diligent five times, rich or riches 26, and poverty 34 times. And in this, I realized really quickly that Proverbs doesn't speak on a get-rich-quick scheme of do this and you'll become a millionaire, but rather to win with money, more importantly, to win with life, Proverbs focuses on behavior and character. And so we are going to talk a lot about behavior when talking about money here today. The other thing that I found that was interesting is my son appears 27 times, father 27 times, mother 14 times. And while God's word speaks to all people, regardless of age, I believe one of Solomon's main audiences is teaching young men and women of how to grow up, how to mature, what snares or pitfalls to avoid, and how to be a person that could distinguish from right and wrong, good and evil, the very prayer or request that he asked from the Lord. 
the answer to his prayer. So without further ado, let's look into your copy of the scriptures of the sluggard and diligent. So I'm going to ask if you guys can stand. You can turn your Bibles to Proverbs 6, 6 to 11. We're going to read the word, and there's a kind of a pattern. Um, At the end, I'll say the word of the Lord, and you guys say, thanks be to God. So Proverbs 6, 6 to 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Go ahead and turn to Proverbs 24. Verse 30 through 34. I passed by a field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So what what is a sluggard? How does Proverbs paint the picture of a sluggard? And how does it apply to our lives? Sluggard comes from the Hebrew word atzel, meaning sluggish or lazy. Pretty simple, right? Well, there's 14 verses, so I looked at the other verses and we, with the other verses, we are able to paint a bigger picture of what a sluggard is. So it's found in your bulletin. You can follow with me. First thing is sluggards are sluggish, slow, hesitant, when they should be decisive, active, or forthright. They are procrastinators towards anything important in life, constantly making excuses for their lack of ownership. They are lazy, sleeping away their life or wasting away their life with things that have no eternal significance. They lack the ability to lead themselves and are consistently fearful of things around them. They are selfish and self-absorbed, very, very rarely thinking about others. They are fools and are short-sighted, headed toward a path of destruction that they don't see, yet alone even care. The temptation this morning is, you might be thinking, this message, message doesn't apply to me. I'm not a slugger, and I would encourage you, please, please, please don't check out. The truth is, I believe, as you see in the Bible, that we are all tempted or possess a sluggard mentality to some degree or another, because the reality is we all have a flesh. We are all sinners. What is the flesh, you may ask? The Bible describes a flesh as a sinful nature that lives within us. It is not to submit to God's law, nor can it do so. The flesh cannot please God, it desires to please self and run away from God. And please know that my heart here this morning is not to condemn anyone or shame anyone. That's Satan. My hope and my prayer is that we can open the word of God and look into our own lives, our own character flaws, and repent and pursue Jesus. 
So here are some examples as I thought about my own life of uh, what it looks like of living like a sluggard. So the first thing is when trouble or distress or things get hard in your life, do you turn to food? Do you eat to satisfy your feelings or so that you can't think of it? It might be greasy food. It might be ice cream, chocolate. Personally, I'm an ice cream guy. So Kroger's aisle 14 on the left side. I highly recommend this. Not to do what I'm about to do, but extreme moose tracks, extra fudge. Some of you have had it. It's so good. So good. I've ate a whole carton before by myself. Different times. That's not good. I just don't want to think, and it's just good, and I just keep want, 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 crave, crave, crave. The other thought is video games or TV shows or, or movies. When have you ever said, you know what, I am just tired. I've had a long week. I'm just going to veg out and just watch all of Grey's Anatomy, the whole 10 seasons. <laughs> I don't know how many seasons Grey's Anatomies are. I haven't watched it. <laughs> she knows. Uh, <laughs> But the reality is, please know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of these things, but when we have this hole within our hearts and and our flesh wants something besides God, we can turn to these things. I hear some of you guys said, hey, I just watched five seasons in, in three days, and I'm like, how is that possible? I don't know, but the reality is the flesh craves, 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 and will get what it wants. Is there anything under your care that is overgrown Or useless because of neglect? Is there anything in your life that you're avoiding? Maybe it's at work or at home because it's going to take a long time and it's just too hard. And so life is over here. I'm just going to focus on it. You neglect that as well. Students, look at your study habits, right? You've known about this test for a month and then you cram the night before and you just take all this knowledge, memorize it, and then try to get a C or a D because Ds are for diplomas. And, <laughs> and then you just are like, hey, I don't have to remember this. And you just forget it. No, your education is for you to learn, for you to be diligent and learn it and actually know it. <laughs> or if a paper, I, I've done this, I'm sorry. A paper, a 10-page paper, and you write a... 10-page paper in three hours or less the night before. It's really impressive, but it's not good. (laughs) Sinking a diet or exercise, it's estimated that 74% of Americans are overweight that struggle with obesity. I'm convicted of this. Just even this week, I look at my own life and I realize I live in a country where I have the freedom and free will of whatever goes to my body, no one's forcing it. And so, like, I'm in charge of what goes in. And so it's like the slugger mentality is like, I just want greasy food or things like that. I don't have a plan. Don't have a plan. Unfinished books. How many books have you started and not finished? You get to chapter two. This is more convicting for us Christians. How many Bible in a year plans have you started? And then on the third month, when life gets hard and you get into Leviticus, (laughs) you're like... Ah, I'm done. Like, I can't do it. And then little by little, you miss a day, and then it's a week, and then it's two weeks, and you're like, oh, I'll try next year. (laughs) That's an attitude of the sluggard. And please know of, like, there is hope, and there is grace. And you might not be just a sluggard of, hey, I'm just a sluggard, but you might struggle with it because we have a flesh. 
So how do we throw off sluggard ways within us and combat the flesh? Glad you asked. Let's look at what Solomon tells us. Proverbs 6, 6. It says this, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. So I took this, and I'm a pretty simple guy, and I was thinking, hey, what would a well-seasoned pastor and a, a Bible scholar and a seminary degree student do in this scenario? And so I was like, I'm going to go to the library. I want to pick out books about ants, and I'm going to learn about ants, and I'm going to watch them, observe them. And the reality is there's a lot of fascinating things. My daughter likes this a little more than I do. But the reality is, did you know that ants have ears? Or don't have ears. My bad. <laughs> Promise you I know this. They don't have ears. No, how they hear is through vibrations on the ground. They also don't have lungs. You're like, well, duh, where would they go? Well, I didn't know that. They have holes all throughout their body in which they breathe in oxygen and emit carbon dioxide. It's crazy. It's fascinating. After more study of antology, that's the study of ants, and that's not a real thing, by the way. I just made that up. Here are some action steps in which we can apply into our lives to combat the sluggard ways within our flesh. The first action step, let your life be defined by commitments, not your feelings. The sluggard is lazy. The diligent is disciplined. If you look at Proverbs 6, 7 through 8, Solomon is saying this about the ant. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, the ant prepares her bread in summer and gathers her, her food in harvest. We see that ants aren't dependent on any other ants leading them, but rather are self-motivated, driven, hardworking. It doesn't matter how hot it may be outside. They get up and do their job in season and out of season. The sluggard, on the other hand, is lazy immature, childish, controlled by their feelings. I think one of the best verses, one of my favorite verses about maturity is this, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I thought like a child, a reason like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I have a daughter who's two and a half. I hope you meet her uh, someday. She is beautiful. But this is an extreme example of a child who's controlled by her feelings. She is learning in life of she wants things. And so she'll go, I want, I want, I want, I want, and throw a temper tantrum. And we're like, calm down. Like, okay, like, let's talk about this. It's not going to happen. The other thing is, is we're, if we're out in a park or, you know, at someone's house, she'll see someone on a swing. Well, that's not a good thing. My turn, my turn, my turn. And she goes to me and she's like, daddy, like, kick him off. Like, it's my turn. Like, I want a swing. And so I'm trying to reason, hey, like, Sarah, like, that's not your swing. That's this person's swing. we got to be respectful of their... It's not happening, all right? So there's no reasoning with a child. She can't see past five seconds, ten seconds. She's controlled by her feelings. When I think of a, a man or a godly man or a godly woman, I think of someone who's controlled and, and makes time for what's important in life. Someone can't say, hey, you know what? I just don't feel like going to work this morning. A long day. I'm tired. I only got four hours of sleep because the baby was up. Maybe it's two hours. Maybe no sleep at all. I don't want to go to work. 
can't do that. Like, you will get fired like if this becomes a habit. And so because of their families de- dependent on them working, they get up and they go to work. And at work, they do it with excellence. And when they come home from work, whoever it may be, they don't shut down and just isolate themselves and, and go away. No, because their family is important, they make time. They're present. They're there. Can you imagine? Uh, I, not can you imagine? I'm guilty of this. Babe, I've just had a long day. I've been working 12 hours. I have no more words. And then I just look at her and she's like, what do you think I've been doing all day? I've been taking care of your kids, your, your two daughters who are babies and are still running around. And I want, I want, I want my turn, my turn. And so I'm like, I'm sorry. Where, where can I help you? Here's an interesting question for you guys. What if Jesus was a sluggard? Think about that. What if Jesus lived by his feelings and not by commitment? As I thought about that, there's plenty of examples of, of how things would turn, of what we see in the scriptures. First thing I thought of was the Garden of Gethsemane, the hour before he was to be betrayed. What if Jesus fell asleep while he prayed and considered the costs like his disciples did? A little sleep, a little slumber, and the whole world goes to hell. Like, uh, literally, you're right. But in all seriousness, as Jesus was counting the cost and, and uh, thinking of, of God's wrath and considering it and, and about to go down this path of being a sin sacrifice for all of mankind, what if he was like, hey, you know what? I don't feel like that. I don't want to go through that pain. I don't want to be flogged. I don't want to be spit, mocked, hit. It's their problem. It's not my problem. Like, let them go do it. Yet Jesus lived by a greater purpose, a greater will. He didn't live by his feelings. His spirit at the time in the garden was troubled, so troubled that he was sweating blood. You can see the pain. You can see the agony. Yet, in Hebrews 12, 2, we see, who for the joy that was set before him, Christ endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. That joy is you and me and everything, and I literally mean everything that Jesus did, I believe was on purpose or had a reason. For he came to this earth on a mission, the Father's mission, to reconcile the world back through himself. And so when you read the scriptures, look for the why, not just the what. So what about you? Are you living or walking in the spirit of what's important? Or are you gratifying the self, living by the flesh? What governs your life? What governs your thoughts, your actions? Do you shut down or isolate yourself when things get hard? The reality is the choices that you make today is the person you are becoming tomorrow. The things that you may be ashamed of or don't like about yourself didn't happen overnight, little by little. It it did happen overnight, little by little, continuing in the path of the wrong direction. And how to change, we have to repent. We have to turn and pursue holiness or pursue whatever it looks like in that situation. And little by little of going down that path, we can achieve what we plan to. If you want to be more like Jesus, 
Spend time with Jesus. It doesn't just have to be a quiet time in the morning and, and then just check it off. No, like dwell on him, rest in him, pray to him, read his word. It's all about him. Get to know him. You and your flesh and my flesh is the biggest hindrance to our relationship of Jesus, to becoming more like him. If you want to run a marathon, what do you do? You go online and you get a plan. I've never ran 13 miles. I did at one time. It was the hardest thing in the world. But what did the plan do? It broke it down for me. And little by little, you can achieve what you never thought was possible. As in regards to money, Proverbs 10.4, it's in your bulletin. You can turn to it in the Bible if you want. It says, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent make rich. Reality is, don't be lazy. Work, work, work. If you don't have a job, get a job. If you're at your job and you're a mediocre employee or you're consistently checking out on your phone or social media, whatever it may be, repent. Like, repent. Do it with diligence. Do it with excellence. In Colossians 3, 23, we say, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Don't be lazy. Be diligent. Proverbs 21, 5, it says the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. When I see the word plans, I think of the the dreaded B word that we all might hear, some love, some hate, the word budget. Budget. A budget is simply telling your money where to go instead of wondering where all your money went at the end of the month or the end of the year. And you... You categorize every penny and put it towards things as a plan of where you want it to go. A budget brings freedom. And I really mean this. If, if you can live on that, it will bring freedom. Regardless with my wife and I, regardless of where we're at in life and whatever money situation we may be, we know how to handle it. If we're in debt, it's like, okay, this is our plan. So we're going to take these steps. If we get unexpected money, like, all right, this is where the money goes. Like, we don't have to discuss or, or uh, negotiate or compromise. Like, we just have a plan and we stick to the plan. Money issues are the second leading causes of divorce behind infidelity. If your marriage is important, which I hope it is, I hope you say yes, take time and sit down with your wife, sit down with your spouse, and, and talk. Get on a plan. Ne- negotiate, compromise, wrestle with it. Like, just because you have one way, and this is how we should do all things in our whole household, doesn't mean it's right. Like, no, that's when you talk, and you wrestle with it, and you get on the same plan. This is behavior. The other thing with behavior is learn to say no to wants and things. Learn to say no to wants and things. An example of this is some of you know that I drive a Prius. Let that sink in. It gets a little worse. I have two Priuses. And at one time I had three because I was trying to upgrade and it was lower mileage. I don't care what you say, you might be the .0001% of all the world that thinks a Prius is cool. There's nothing cool about owning a Prius, at least for me. Uh, One of my favorite bumper stickers says, cool Prius, says nobody. 
The other thing is I was uh, with my friend and uh, they were side by side and we were just revving our engines, being silly. We weren't going to race or anything like that. So I tried to rev my engine. You can't rev your engine in a Prius. It's in battery power. Like it's not going to happen. But I drive a Prius and my wife and I, we have Priuses to try to save money on which most of our money, or not most, but money would go to our cars and we put to other things in our plan. We are delaying pleasure and driving a Prius to the glory of God. All right? So, So stop hassling me if you are. The next action plan, and now that you're living on a, Uh, A plan, the action step number two is live your life defined by boldness and passion, not worry and fear. Trusting in a sovereign God. Boldness, passion. The sluggard is fearful, but the diligent is persistent. You can turn to Proverbs 26, 12 through 13. It says this, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. The slugger says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. And even this situation, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is I think of a, a, a parent and a child or a mom and a daughter or, or son or whatever. And hey, you need to go to work, go to school. Mom, there's, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the streets. I can't do that. And you look out and you're like, nope, there's no lion, like, go to work. Or the sluggard has the audacity, or that child has the audacity to turn it on you. You would want me to go on the streets, wouldn't you? You want me to eat by that lion. No, I don't. Then you'll have peace, then you won't have to deal with me anymore. And then you can hang out with Jessie more, your favorite daughter. We all know that you love her more. And you're just like, no, you just need to go because... That's your responsibility right now. Like, go and do it. See, the sluggard always has a perfectly good excuse, enabling them to stay exactly where they are at. Never taking responsibility for their own actions. It's always something or someone else's fault. They are where they are. The sluggard's life is characterized by fear and worry. It paralyzes them to even try to make a change. So what about you this morning? What in your life do you know you need a change but have every excuse in the book on why you haven't changed yet? What gives you anxiety on a consistent basis? Is it news? Is it the Oval Office? Is it the safety of your kids? In John 14, it's not in your bulletin, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me. Trust also in God. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. My father has many rooms. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. If I do that, I'm going to come back and get you. Like, you're with me. Like, I love you. Like, we got this. Don't worry. Stop worrying. Like, this is your eternal destiny. John 16, 33, it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So as we go to the ant, regardless if there is a lion outside, I haven't seen this personally, I didn't observe it, 
the ant is still going to go. And I imagine that the ant is going to grab some of his friends and, and go and try to bite the lion. And the lion's going to be unfazed unless it's fire ants. And then you, that's dangerous. You run. Like the lion will run when he sees a swarm of fire ants coming at you. But I say all that to say that they're not fearful. Like they have a responsibility. They're going to get up, go and do that. In fact, the biggest enemy to ants is actually other ants trying to overtake their territory. They're not fearful. They're going to do their job. As in regards to money, investing, don't know what your thoughts on that, but I'm going to try to break it down. Investing is simply committing money, resources, or time in an endeavor or project with the hopes of attaining a profit or reward. Please know that investing does not just have to be money. It can be a lot of things. It can also be money. If you don't know, your income, what we all make, is your biggest asset. That's the word I'm going to throw around. Your biggest asset to you. An asset is anything that brings money in. A liability is anything that takes money away. What do I mean by that? Here's an example. A car can be both an asset and a liability. A car has value. So if you were to sell your car tomorrow, you'll get X amount of money. However, I think we all know this, a car depreciates in value. So if you buy it for 16000 I don't know how much you bought it for, it's going to be worth significantly less in years. All right? So you're losing money in that. The other thing is most people, most Americans, have car payments. You're paying on the interest of the loan. And so that's a liability. Money is going away. A rental house is an asset if it's rented out. It's money, extra money coming to you. Your income is your biggest asset. And so if you're here today and you're struggling to make ends meet, we need to invest in your education, invest in your skill sets. Let me back up. Not we, you. So that you can get yourself a better paying job or raise. What I did not say, please hear this, hey, I'm going to drop everything and I'm just going to wait for the perfect job and, and then I got it. Nope. Like, work your job now. Be diligent. And then work overtime. Maybe it's networking. Uh, maybe it's investing in a, a college education, master's, whatever it may be. Don't just stop. Invest in yourself. Don't be fearful and do nothing and just say, you know what? I'm going to throw my hands up. I'll never be able to, to work that job or go to school, anything like that. One of the biggest things that I hear and see people fearful of is putting money in investments of this world. And please know you can invest in a lot of things. I hope that we all are investing in the kingdom, but there's this wisdom of this world where I think it's also scriptural, where you can invest in things and make money, and that is good. For example, turn to Luke 19, 12 through 24. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return, calling 10 of his servants. So we got 10 people. He gave them 10 minas. A mina is pretty much three to four months uh, worth of wages. And said to them, 
Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he had returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given money to be called to him, that he might know what they had done with business. Their first came before him saying, Lord, your mind has made 10 minus more. That's a really good investment. That's what he says to him. Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall, be authority, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not even put the money in a bank? And at my coming, I might have collected at least with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the money from him and give it to the one who has 10 minus. The first thing I think of is this servant doesn't know his master. He had a bad theology of who he was. You're an angry man, and so I was afraid, and so I'm just fearful, and I'm not gonna do anything. I'm just gonna hide it. At least I can just give you one. But no, the master was like, no, I want you to multiply. I want you to utilize what I give you, money, talents, whatever, and multiply it. He even says, Verse 23, why then did you not just put my money in the the bank? If you don't know, a bank is the safest investment. Like, there's very little risk at all, and you'll collect very little. But he's like, just do something with it. I believe that the Bible teaches that anything healthy will grow. I also believe, this is kind of crazy, some of you that might know me know that I'm a big fan of this, that Jesus invested in us. One, he gave his Holy Spirit to us. We should should grow. The other thing, here's a practical example that Jesus invested in 12 disciples. There was a lot of people that followed Jesus. Like, I'm not Jesus, but we would all want to be around Jesus. All right? And he invested his life and spent 80 to 90% of his, the three years when he was doing ministry in those 12. They were ordinary, unschooled, uneducated men, but they were with Jesus, and that changed everything. And so he gave his life to them, and he taught them, and he gave the insights and, and told them the, the wickedness of the Pharisees and, and how to live, how to have a relationship with God. And they fully didn't even get it. Some of them kind of hid after Jesus was, uh, died on the cross. But Jesus invested in them and said, you 12 are going to be the leaders of the church And after the resurrection, after they saw the risen Christ, their lives were changed forever. And they went and they did it and they remembered their time with Jesus. One of those 12 was a poor investment. It went sour, right? Jesus invests in us. In Ecclesiastes 11, 1 to 2, this is Solomon speaking. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. It's even saying seven, eight. And I understand this is pretty elementary. I'm just, all I'm trying to do is saying, let's not just 
be closed-minded and just hold kind of our money. Like, no, like, let's scatter it. Let's sow it. We don't know what will happen. But we're not closed-minded because we know we have a sovereign God. And he's in control. And our hope is not in those investments. And so if you are looking to invest, which I'm not going to come up here. I'm not going to be a financial advisor. That's the worst thing that I could ever do. I understand that. It's not going to happen. But I would encourage you, like, do research. Do your homework. If you don't know, like, seek someone out. Seek someone who's older who's handling money wisely. And just go to them. And I've done this. And just say, will you just teach me about your finances? Teach me how you lead your family. What do you guys struggle with? How do you do it? One of my favorite things is talking to small business owners or people in the business world. I'm not. I'm in ministry right now. And just hearing how they are loving the Lord and being obedient and, and taking risk on for reward and, and trying to have integrity through the whole process. I'm so thankful for that. That's education for me. Seek someone out. If you're older and wiser and you've done well, I would encourage you, invest, not with your money, but your time in people's lives. Money is the second leading cause for divorce. Like, enter into the ugliness. Enter into the poor problems over time. Enter into this mess and give them hope. Give them Jesus and help them with their behavior. We have Dave Ramsey here. I'm not endorsing Dave Ramsey by no means, but what I appreciate is Dave Ramsey taught me how, my wife and I, of how to win with money versus lose with it. And I'm thankful for that. My wife and I's philosophy is we don't make a lot of money to be stupid with money. We need to be wise. But please know this. Remember as Christians, our hope is not in our investment portfolio or the volatility of the stock market. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and him alone. Please hear that. Please, please, please hear that. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Action step three. Live your life defined by sacrifice and not selfish gain. Sluggard is greedy. The diligent is gracious. Here's one example of it. The desire of the sluggard kills him. It's Proverbs 21, 25 through 26. The desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. And you may be thinking here this morning, this is where Eric's going to come up and they're going to pull a quick one over and they're just going to say, hey, we need to give all our money to the church. Not going to do that here this morning. We've already had a money sermon earlier uh, this year. What I am going to do is I'm going to ask you, more importantly, I'm going to implore you to give your whole life away to the Lord, not just your money. Give your time, your resources, your gifts, your strengths, your family. What I mean by that is don't just leave your family on the altar of the Lord and say, hey, I'm going to go do the Lord's work and I'm going to go over here. Like, have fun. No, bring your family with you and do mission together. Pray about it. Get on the same page of what that looks like. Give your whole self to the work of the Lord as the Lord has given his whole self to you and to me. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy and all that he has done for us, and we know that, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your spiritual act of worship. Your whole bodies. Your whole body, not just a part of your life. This is the last ant fact, I promise. 
Ants is found in your bulletin. Ants live and work together in highly organized societies called colonies. In fact, most ant colonies are so united toward the common purpose of survival, growth, and reproduction that they behave like a single organism or a super organism. Can you imagine a million ants? That's like the average. A million ants working as one. It's a pretty cool thing to think about that. What's even cooler, in my opinion, is to think about the body of Christ and what God is doing through his church. Isn't this reflective of 1 Corinthians 12? We all have a part to play in the kingdom, not just here at Grace, his whole church. Don't be a sluggard. Get up, get off the bench, and get in the game. Don't isolate yourself. The time is now. And this includes your money, your time, everything. The time is now. Rainy Alcorn says, he who lays up treasures in heaven is looking forward to heaven. Are you looking forward to heaven? Does your life reflect that you are looking forward to heaven? Are you a part of God's mission here on earth? What's holding you back? I was so convinced by Dave Warren's sermon, I think it was like two weeks ago, of sending people out and the importance of that. It was phenomenal. And uh, I got to go to a trip uh, in Guatemala with Dave. I got really, really sick. Um, Dave didn't. He's smart. (laughs) But I'm with Dave, and I'm just talking to Dave, and I'm hearing his heart for uh, PG6 and the lost and the unreached. And um, I'm like, Dave, like, you've been waiting so long. Like, let's just go. You and me, let's just, let's just go and do it. That's foolishness of me. And I'll, I'll convince my wife and I'll convince my kids and we'll just go, like, let's do it. And Dave said, hey, Eric, you know what? I appreciate that, but you are more important here in Northern Kentucky. I'm like, thanks. And then this is what he says. And this is, uh, if you know Dave, he has nuggets of wisdom all the time. And he said this, he's like, Dave, uh, or not Dave, Eric, as the tide rises, so does the pool of resources and people that we can utilize. And in that moment, I was affirmed in God's calling here at Grace that my heart is for this independence campus and to go all out for it. I'm all in. And it's not just me. It's my family coming along with me. We are all in. And I promise you, we're not going to be a sluggard. We're going to do everything it takes to reach the people in that campus, not just to have a holy huddle with grace members. We're going to be missional. And then what I was encouraged, and uh, I've been so encouraged by this, is how many people that I've met with, I've met with a lot of people, that are like, we're all in with you. Like, we're going to do it with you. And I'm like, thanks, that's, that's awesome. And we're not just going to go to the campus and, and just see how we like it and then we're done, we'll, we'll go back to wherever we go. No, we're all in. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We want to lock arms with you. And there's already over 100 people going to this new campus. That's crazy, right? My crazy prayer is that there would be 300 people that we could start with and that we could then have our team and to just go and reach people in Independence, Taylor Mill, Alexandria, and Walton. That's the hope. You here at Florence or Fort Thomas, you have a role. You are a part of the body. Step up, raise up, serve, give, bring your family along. And if you are, thank you so much. But we are a body, one body as a whole. We each have different functions. We need you to get in the game and to serve. 
We have all heard in Matthew 6, 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I would venture to say, what you believe at the core of your being, the inner depths of your heart, your whole life will follow those beliefs, not just your money. So how is your heart? Is it sluggish? Or are you giving your life away? In conclusion, my prayer for you guys is surrender your life, surrender your whole hearts to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because the reality is the rich and the poor, the sluggard and the diligent, we all need a savior for we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Proverbs 11, four says, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Regardless of what is in your bank account or if you had all the money in the world, None of it, not even a penny, will bring one ounce of righteousness or be able to save you on judgment day. And so when we appear before Jesus and we are to give an account of all of our actions, all of our thoughts, all the evil desires within our hearts, the Bible is crystal clear that our only hope, our only righteousness is in the, in the work of Jesus Christ. What is, what is the work of Jesus, you may be asking it's the gospel. It's the good news that we love. Go ahead and turn to Proverbs eleven twenty four. This is a common giving verse. And I'll be honest with you guys. In my flesh, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. I want to be selfish. But the wisdom of God humbles us and saves us. Eleven twenty four says this, one gives freely, it grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers one. I want to read that again. One gives freely, it grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers one. See guys, the gospel is the God of the universe with infinite riches and unmatchable power gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, his beloved, to a wicked, wretched, and unbelieving people, you and, for, and me. And he was on mission, and that mission was to die on the cross and to answer our biggest problem, our sin problem. And to take upon the wrath of himself, he died on the cross. And what we see in scriptures is on the third day, he rose again. So that everyone that puts their faith in Jesus have now become sons and daughters of the king. John 1, 12. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So as God gave his son freely, he gains even more that those who put their faith in him are now in the family of God. That's the good news. That's what we celebrate. 2 Corinthians Eight, nine says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he's rich, yet for your sake, your sake, he became poor, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. And so while here on earth, in closing, which is not our home, our home is in heaven, may we live not for ourselves or for our flesh, but live by the Spirit. May we live with boldness and passion, not fear and worry. And may we give our lives sacrificially, and without measure, just as God has given his life for us without measure. And for those who ask for a reason of, or the hope within, 
May we cry, Jesus, only Jesus.